TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a speech pathologist, a health coach, and a mother of two fussy eaters, self-proclaimed. Welcome to the show, Heidi Hosking. Thanks, Brett. Thank you very much. And hello to all the listeners out there as well. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be a really interesting topic, talking about fussy eaters, such an important topic, um, and a speech pathologist. So a lot of people won't see the link there. We'll talk about that a little bit later of how that all fits together. Uh, but to start with, tell us a bit about you and your journey with your family, Heidi. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brett. So it all started, I mean, obviously I started as a speech pathologist working with children with delays and disabilities and I didn't really realise that they were all sensitive children and a lot of those carried um, the childhood health issues as well like behavioural issues, digestive issues, sleep, skin issues. Uh, and even low immunity as well. So I was working away and then the next thing I had my son, uh, Hayden, and he off the bat started out not being able to sleep. So he went through seven months without sleeping until he ended up at a sleep school. Um, And then at the same time he had skin issues. We had eczema over and over and so we did the doctor shopping like there was no tomorrow. Uh, And he also had low immunity. Every bug, every virus he caught, he had constant snot, um, ear infections, the whole thing. Um, And then the behaviour. So that was the killer for us, that it was rough, impulsive. Uh, He had no intention span. He couldn't even basically hear out the rest of our sentence, let alone sit down and actually play um, for a decent amount of time. He had no motivation. The eye contact was tricky. Um, And the interesting thing, though, was he was quite bright underneath. So, like, at two, he taught himself the alphabet. So, he knew there was a glimmer of something there. And Mm. I guess... The only thing that kind of kept me going was I held this vision of him going, this is not our child. I can see there's signs underneath that's better and I don't want this for him. And um, it was exhausting for me and our family and even his brother that copped all the rough behaviour and trying to work out what is the issue and how can we fix this. And I was exhausted. And, you know, if we'd wanted to, even though I was like, no, we're not going to do it, we could have gone up to the paediatrician and got a diagnosis probably of ADHD and Asperger's even. Um, But instead I went, no, no, we're going to go and look down the natural road. So we went, we've been to naturopaths, herbalists, kinesiologists, chiropractors, um, and we've looked into it and realised, oh my gosh, he's got food sensitivities and of course chemical sensitivities as well and he absorbs stress, which doesn't go down well either. Um, so we, w- we did lots and lots of work. I mean, this has been over years, um, me working it all out, I suppose, by myself. And started to realise, oh wow, we can actually change him to be quite a different child. Um, So instead of the boy that would have looked like the naughty boy, he was taking that on even as his self-identity. The child that was constantly sick and snotty, the child that would have mega meltdowns, the child that just um, wasn't a good picture, I suppose. And um, Instead, and of course, we cleared up skin as well, but now he's a child that he skipped his first year of school. We finally got him thinking clearly. He got his creativity out. His imagination is amazing. Um, Obviously, his intelligence was there and he was an early reader. Um, And so now, and of course, there's 
you know, there's no signs of the true ADHD in Asperger's. He's obviously always got plenty of energy, but we've kind of changed it around to a totally different picture of this child that I shudder to think what he could have ended up like. Um, of course, it's been exhausting for me and um, confusing, overwhelming. I had so much guilt, I just could not work it out, you know, for so long. And the doctors just couldn't help us. And I have nothing against them, but we just didn't get the answers. So then I put it all to bear. So I don't want to think about this anymore. And then the next thing I started seeing all these children around with the dark circles under their eyes, the red swipes across their cheek, the eczema, the behavioural issues, the constantly sick. And I started realising all the children that I was working with, they had all these issues too. And I started realising there's probably not good ways that I'm going to work on their attention and even their speech and their language when I can see underneath it all. They probably need to change the food that they're eating. Um, so I went off to study to be a health coach to get some um, awesome information about all the new age topics of clean eating and food sensitivities. And then using my skills um, as a speech pathologist because I've done lots of training with fussy eating, uh, which most people don't realise that's what we can do as well. I've kind of paired it together because I see a lot of parents now that come out of the, um, which, whichever professional they see that says your child needs to get off, say, gluten and dairy and you want to go home and cry because you have no idea how you're going to do it and I would have rather cut my arm off than have to take dairy off my child and I can see all the other parents out there too and so they kind of put it to bed and they leave it alone going it's just too hard to even fathom and so unfortunately there's all these children out there with the health issues from it um, from not looking into the food sensitivities because of the fussy eating I guess you'd say um, and it breaks my heart to see all these kids that I think, imagine what they could be like, like my son, if we turned them the other way and turned up their, what I say, vibrancy and make them into the awesome children that we know we need for the rest of the um, future coming, that um, that's where I've gone to today. So um, with the Healthy Caterpillar, my business, I'm trying to basically be that loving and supportive person um, for all the mums out there that actually go, you know what, I do want more for my child. But... Um, they don't know how to do it, so they might not know exactly what are the foods, what are the issues, but they mostly they go, I have no idea how to get this child to eat it and our family mealtimes are so stressful. And I would like to say, Brett, your book, Nourish Without Nagging, is awesome. So I'd say, you know, parents go to that and get all the ideas. Um, but I do acknowledge, obviously, there's some children out there that are extremely sensitive that these poor families are going, what are we doing? Because these children are so sensitive, they just cannot take the sensory properties of the food. So that's where I work with the families to break it down into micro goals if we need to, uh, to get them moving towards the clean eating foods rather than the ones that are no good for their health, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I've gotten to today. There you go. Well, it's a, it's an amazing journey and obviously full of passion for the topic, which is fantastic. It, it's so important. And, you know, it is one of the things I was really conscious of when writing Nourish Without Nagging is that there are a lot of different things that can come into play here and that, you know, for... For many kids, you know, there are simple strategies you can use that can make a huge difference, often quite quickly and quite easily. You know, for other kids who do have, um, you know, sensory processing disorders or, you know, various other, you know, ADHD or, you know, autism spectrums, all those sort of things, there's a lot of other factors that can come in and, I guess, make it harder to make changes. But I guess 
the exciting thing from you is that you're saying that even for those kids, you know, it's possible and you can make really cool changes. That's exactly right. And that's what I think I'm trying to get through to a lot of parents is to get them to see that their child might be a sensitive child because I think once you can go, oh, wow, they've actually got some sensitivities and these sensitivities can be quite cool, um, you know, like the creativity or the emotional intelligence, the intellectual um, abilities, all of that. But if it goes the wrong way, then you go, oh, wow, this is actually quite tricky. So um, the first thing that I get parents to do is to look into um, the sensitivities that their child might have. And then once they can see it from their child's point of view to go, oh, wow, that is really quite hard for them to take. Say if you've got um, a, a really sensitive child that can't deal with those sensory properties of the food, like the texture or the taste, or even they can't look at it or smell it. Uh, even crunch it, um, that's where we go back to that kind of thing to get the parent to go, can you see how that's actually really quite tricky for them? And say an analogy might be, you know, I could say to the parent, well, you eat green, be green beans, don't you? Mm. Yeah. I'm like, well, how about I whack it in a blender and then you can drink it down and, of course, you start getting those gaggy feelings, <laughs> which is exactly like what the children would, are getting and they physically can't get it down. And so here's these parents trying to try and you know talk them through it do everything but if the child's body can't handle it with their sensory system then it is really yeah it's really asking a lot of a child to do it front up obviously we can do it we just have to back it down and look at the goals um, much smaller so that we can get them to that goal yeah. eventually because um, I know there's a lot of parents out there that know the right foods to eat and, you know, they're really educated, you know, lots of them yeah. are on the paleo diet, but they just go, I don't know how to get my child to eat it, um, which you know all about too. Yeah. So what's the trick, Heidi? What's, what's the key to then chunking that down? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, okay. So obviously, like when I work with parents, I basically say to them, we want to work together for about six months if your child is quite sensitive and I probably work on the scale of the more sensitive children than you might see Brett but there's some um, because it takes that long I guess just to get the child's sensory system used to these different foods and really like I say it's like a snowball you get that snowball happening and they try this they have a little bit of this it's very micro wins to begin with but the next thing their sensory system is much cooler and then you start bringing all sorts of things and so by the end of six months we go hey let's um, look at adult style meals we'll get them to eat a soup or a stir fry or a slow cooker meal and the parent thinks no way but you go yeah as long as you're taking the right steps forward which is exactly where most parents get tripped up is not knowing what to do then you move forward so I can go through some of the tips um, just the general tips that I would say which obviously pairs in a lot with you say um, with, with what you say as well Brett um, shall I go through Absol a Absolutely, of that'd be great. Yeah, so one of the things that I say, and this is the biggest thing that I say to parents, which I think throws them off first, is the number one thing is to keep the uh, mealtime calm at all times um, because they've shown that adrenaline is an appetite killer, which I think most people know, but I think a lot of parents don't realise the stress that these children take on even the whole call, it's dinner time and their stomach starts churning because they've had nasty meal times every other meal time they've been to or even just sometimes they've had a bad occasion and it sets off that, I uh, call it like the shark music. I know Dan Siegel says, oh no, here we go again. And as soon as you've got that stress happening in you, you've got no appetite. So it makes it so much harder for the parents to even start 
getting their child open to being healthy and adventurous eater um, from the very beginning. But going the other way, if we keep it super calm, then the parents will go, oh, okay, well, yeah, we'll give that a try. And the more it happens, the child starts to go, wow, I've got a bit of control at the table. I feel cool. And of course, then they're open to trying new things and the parents can't believe how quickly it might actually happen. Mm. Um, but in saying that, then we look at the strategies of keeping the mealtime calm. Um, so that obviously might mean you might have to change your expectations. So that's my next tip for parents is to look at what expectations you've got for your child for each different meal because of course some meals are easier for the child to fathom than others and different foods um, so of course stress comes straight away if they go oh my gosh I'm going to be expected to eat this whole bowl full of food that I can't handle for whatever reason um, but I say to parents well what would happen if you relaxed your expectations and instead of them eating the whole bowl full could you just say, hey, you know what? How about you have one mouthful and that would be that? And the child is going, you're kidding. That's fine. I could do that. Yeah, okay. And then it sets up just such a different tone for the meal, um, the meal time because then the parent's like, oh, okay, great. You did it. The child feels great. And then, they're, again, they're more open to trying new things maybe at that meal time. It might be the next meal time and that's where we have to go quite slowly I say to parents, you might need to have a backup meal like a safe food that you can have to fill them up. And then you start getting used to, okay, I'm going to serve this, say, soup. I know they're not going to be up for eating a whole bowl full, so I'm going to have something on the side, but I'm also going to expect that they might do this. And sometimes for a lot of parents, they go, there's no way my child would even have one mouthful of soup. And so that's when we go, well, what's the expectation? We go, is it going to be? And some parents are horrified that they get to just touch it and do a bit of play. So that might be you put out a teeny tiny bit and it's literally just, hey, let's get, let your body and literally your sensory system get used to the feel of this soup and you can make it a bit fun and let them, you know, circle around on the plate. And this is where I come in and set up the expectations straight away. You can keep it on your plate or even your high chair tray, whatever it has to be. Um, no flicking around, whatever. But let's get in there. And as soon as they realise they don't have to eat it and I only have to touch this, oh, okay, I could do that. And parents don't realise how much they're propelling their child's sensory system forward just by letting them play with it because, of course, they're smelling it, they're looking at it, they're being calm with it and their fingers are almost giving their mouth a feel of what it's going to be like with that texture in their mouth before it gets there. So then accidentally they might, you know, maybe they'll have a little lick or maybe you can take it up to let's, you know, put some lipstick on or do something fun. I bet you couldn't give it a quick snake tongue lick. Um, and then all of a sudden they've gone, actually, that soup doesn't even taste that bad and I'm really used to touching it now. I know what the texture's like. And before long you could go, hey, I bet you couldn't do one spoonful. And they go, yeah, I bet I could. And then all of a sudden the gates are opened and you've got kids eating far more than they would have beforehand. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds exciting. Yes. Um, so some other things that I say to parents, particularly particularly those that are, say, all of a sudden my child's got food sensitivities or I really do want them to move to something like the paleo diet, is to look at the time frame. So 
for me, I did the overnight conversion of I go home from the dietitian, I have a big cry, go, how am I going to do this and change the next day on my son. And of course, it's super stressful for everyone involved because of course, we've all got the emotional attachments to food and particularly our young children who don't really know or understand what's in it for them straight away. Um, so I say to parents, do you feel like it would be different if you considered doing this over three months or even six months? Or I say to families, we've gone you know, and made changes along the way over years. Does that get less overwhelming? And sometimes when they go, oh, okay, yeah, then they can go, okay, so if I'm going to do this over six months or you know, even by the end of winter, I'm going to get them to eat soup. I can fathom helping them to make small changes and I'm not going to be putting a bowl in front of them and expecting that they're going to eat it the first time they see it. Um, I think that's one thing that really helps parents to keep cool and of course again it goes back to that first point of keeping calm at the meal time and the expectations. If you can keep calm well then that's everything because then the child goes yeah okay there's no stress on me I'm happy to be open and adventurous with this new food. Um, so then the next thing that I suggest to parents as well to keep it less stressful and I'm saying all this about the stress because I know how stressful it is especially <laughs> when you're trying to do it really quickly and especially when you've got a fussy eater um, that I've ended up with adrenal fatigue and I look at all the parents that I work with and you go yeah I think every mother I see has adrenal fatigue because they're trying their hardest but it is quite stressful so I'm always looking at ways to make it less stressful but still keep the ball rolling as moving forward. Um, so the next point is crowd in. So in, if you don't have to do the overnight conversion, you might start instead of taking away all these foods all at once and upsetting your child is to start to just bring new foods in. And all of a sudden one time you might bring in a new cereal or you might start putting a couple of nuts on top of the wheat bix or something just to get them interested to go oh, okay we've got new foods and the child starts getting a bit more open to all these different foods that are coming in so that eventually one day you start the whole oh I didn't buy any wheat bix today happy to have that granola that <laughs> we've got now and knowing that you've set them up for it and they're okay they go oh yeah okay that's fine thinking you'll get it the next time but after a week they've had their granola and you've mixed it up and had fun or you might change it and have some eggs on morning and of course the whole time you've been educating the child which I think your book um, is great with Brett as well um, as to why you would want to do this then they eventually you go you know what I'm just not sure we're going to do those wheat bigs because you're loving these options and those wheat bix, we already know they don't do a lot for you and these ones are making your brain so clear. Do you think we should just stick with this and you can see how you go? So that's the crowd in method. Mm. Um, and then there's also go sideways. So I think a lot of parents try to move straight to the food that they've got their eyes on. But sometimes yeah. they might need to go sideways a little bit and... A lot of the time, it's just breaking that habit of change. Like the child is so used to having, and I keep using, you know, the, the wheat bix example, but say wheat bix and milk, wheat bix and milk. How do you go and change it, you know, even to eggs or a different cereal? Um, so you might start going, hey, let's go and try this new granola. Or you might go, let's go try rice bubbles for a change. Or would you like, and I've even gone as far as saying, would you like a little tiny sprinkle of honey on that wheat fix if mm. you feel like your child just can't stand anything different from exactly that? Because, you know, eventually where your goal is is to go, okay, let's get them onto 
different options once we've changed up their um, their habit, I suppose. And eventually you'll be saying, you know, we probably don't have that honey all the time. So you can always take that away, but it's really just changing up the habit of um, not liking change, which yeah. I totally understand for all the kids because, of course, as adults, we don't love um, changing up the foods that we love either. Um, and then I get a lot of questions about... How do I get my child, say, off dairy milk or, you know, that particular yogurt they're having or, again, it could be cereal or the bread. And one of them is the mix and fade out. So as in if you absolutely have to, you might start adding in a bit of almond milk into that dairy milk as much as you would dare so that your child slowly gets the slow change that the next day you might add in a bit, of almond, bit more almond milk, the next day you might add in a little bit more till eventually you go, oh, wow, um, they're virtually not having any dairy and you start to then draw their attention to it going, hey, you know, this is the almond milk as well and then the next thing you go, oh, it's a no-brainer, they're fine with it now, they've changed because, of course, everyone's taste buds can get used to change once we mm. have it enough. Um, I've got two more things. So yeah. the next one is celebrate all the successes. So... Um, I want parents to understand so much that their child is never naughty at the dinner table and I've written a big, big long blog post about it. It's more <laughs> about looking at those negative behaviours, going what are they doing, what is it, could it be their sensory system um, and if so then we need to step back and go okay so our child is really trying to impress us, they're trying to do the right thing, it's maybe their sensory system that's holding them back so we need to drop back our expectations and then we need to celebrate those tiny things that they might do. So they might not eat that whole bowl full of soup, but hey, if they've gone and touched it and you actually go, you know what, that's quite a big deal because I didn't think they'd actually do it. You're there going, hooray, you touched it. You're a bit closer to eating their soup, which is so good for you. And they're all of a sudden gone, oh my gosh, this mealtime was actually fun. I liked it. Mm. It was handleable. I'm happy to do this again. So then, of course, the next time the parent yells out, hey, we've got soup, they go, oh, yeah, that's okay. We just touched it last time. And the next time, obviously, you might be um, still doing the touching the soup for a bit. I will say, you know, you can't just do this overnight. But, yeah, the longer you let your child do that bit of touching here and there and they accidentally get in their mouth and the next thing you're doing, oh, let's do one mouthful, eventually it will come. So it's basically about being patient and consistent, <clears throat> keeping on giving it, which I know most people hear. Um, but I think a lot of parents are confused thinking, but they, they're not eating it, so what can I do? But that's where you go, we might actually need to knock it back a little bit more mm. um, and then you can celebrate that success. So praise is a massive one. Keep that child calm and happy and, yeah, they will come forward then. Um, and then the last one, Brett, is that all the children that I see who are fussy eaters, I would say definitely they're very sensitive children and a lot of the times they are bright and aware, which I would say. Um, so, of course, the education can be quite easy to talk to them about it at mm. their developmental level. Obviously, if you've got a two-year-old, you're talking about milk, strong bones, you know, look, there's your bones. Oh, sorry, um, I probably wouldn't even be using milk half the time because <laughs> we don't even do dairy. But um, you get my drift of just relating yeah. it to where their developmental level is at and what's in it for them. And obviously their body and brain. So obviously we know piles more than they might do about these foods and what happens if you, if you eat the wrong foods. But as long as we keep it there, 
then we're going to trust that they're going to hook on to this. So as long as we're patient and we're consistent, we're still saying that message. It might take a couple of years, particularly if they're pretty young, um, but we can also trust that the intuition is going to start coming in. So I talk a lot about intuitive eating. So hmm. the child that is balking at particular foods and then the parents has gone and got the food sensitivity testing done and go, oh, wow, they're actually sensitive to it, is also the child that will start once they get used to the idea of having their kale chips and their, you know, better brekkies and all of that, um, they start to go, that food actually makes me feel really good and I'm actually drawn to that food now more than those ones. We don't even have to be the ones telling them so much. We just encourage them, go, hooray, you actually are listening to your body um, and yeah, and obviously still doing the education behind the scenes and being awesome role models at the same time, if that makes sense. It all makes heaps of sense. It all makes heaps of sense. Yeah. And it sounds, you know, it's a very similar approach to what I talk about in Nourish Without Nagging, but I guess it's, yeah. it's just chunking it down even more, isn't it? But, but I guess still the aim is to allow them to win, you know, to allow them to have some success that you can then celebrate and reinforce and then, you know, snowball that over time, you know, allow that to... By, by allowing them to be successful at it, then it allows it to make it easier to be su- even more successful next time and even more successful the time after. That's exactly it. And that's what I keep saying to parents. Parents trust that your child wants to do the right thing and they want to, mm. um, you know, as I say, impress you. It's just about how can we make it manageable. And, yeah, so I think that's where some parents struggle with the idea of, you know, playing with the food. That's what it is, you know, putting your finger in it and having a feel. But at the same time, that's the way it, that the child's sensory system can really get used to it without that stress of having to put it in their mouth because their mouth is that much more sensitive again. Um, so it gives them a bit of time. And when I say to parents, if I said for the next two weeks, you have to have a calm meal time every single night, no matter what, would this feel good if you could go, hey, we're actually moving forward because you can mm. have a calm meal time and just let them eat, you know, bread or whatever. But... You can also have a calm meal time and say, hey, we're actually putting these foods in front of them and we're actually celebrating that they're moving forward in these tiny micro steps um, and trusting, obviously, that yeah, their child is going to get there and their child all of a sudden one day will go, ping, I'm ready for this. This is fine. It's no worries. And the number of children I've had that have just started eating and the parents are like, what? And you go, yeah, their sensory system just had to be ready. And obviously there's some foods that, you know, we've all got foods that you go, you know, I don't know if my sensory system will ever be totally ready to eat it. Um, But often those are the ones that are linked with the food sensitivities. So I kind of always put out there to the parents, just go easy with what you're expecting children to do because sometimes they intuitively know that food's not so great for them. And these days, unfortunately, you know, it can be particular veggies or in particular fruits, not even just the general gluten, dairy, um, nuts, that kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, it's all just kind of going along, trusting the child, keeping calm, and yeah, and it works really well. Perfect. So we're almost out of time, but yeah. just the last thing I want to ask you about is really about the parents, because um, this can be a really challenging time for parents. It can be stressful. It could be hard work. It can be a battle sometimes. It can, you know, it can seem like it's taking forever to create change. It can be frustrating, <laughs> you know. So. What do you suggest to the parents? What sort of support can we offer to those parents? And what sort of support, you know, what sort of help can they give themselves to, yeah. to sort of um, to keep going and to not let the stress and the, the challenge of it get to them? Good one, Brett, because I was just thinking I really like to say every time I talk about all of this and the shoulds that you should do and you can do, um, 
people still need a bit of direction and that's where I, I guess in my services I use my fussy eater roadmap to keep the parent on track because if you know you're not focusing on the one right thing it can all fall to pieces and the parents are going what am I doing wrong and then they end up again like I have with the guilt and the overwhelm the exhaustion and the, just that stress of we're not moving forward. So with my parents, I have a no guilt oath, which I thought I might just read to the parents that are listening, um, which basically says, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. I can do better when I know better. So this basically means that um, until this day, you've done the best that you could. And obviously, if you don't know any better, you can't do any better. So I just encourage the parents, if you feel like you need help, go and get help because there is people out there that can you know certainly help you um, I do find though and that's why I've kind of started my business is that a lot of the times the parents will go to someone that will help with the fussy eating but they don't know the good foods that this child needs to get onto and I guess this is another topic but the, sen the sensitive children who are fussy eaters also a lot of the time have or probably I would say most of the time have food intolerances too so a lot of professionals will say let's get them onto this texture and this texture but it might be anything from cheesels to licorice sticks to whatever <clears throat> and that is the last foods these little sensitive children need to be eating so that's why for myself I kind of pair the two of them together so that we move <clears throat> on the clean eating as well and not veer off to different paths um, and then of course the parents are getting confused which I agree you go to someone like say a naturopath or a nutritionist or dietitian and they give you the, what the child needs to be eating, but the parent doesn't know how to make it happen. So, um, yeah, definitely seek out the help for the fussy eating because that's the key. I feel like if you can get your child more adventurous, then you can deal with the food sensitivities if you have some or you can mm. change them to the paleo diet. You can just get them plain eating more vegetables or the adult style meals. Um, but then I'm going on to the next oath that I've got is the no overwhelm oath. So that it says, I will take the next best steps that are right for my family. Any feelings of overwhelm mean I am biting off too much at this time. So that's one thing I keep coming back to for parents to take it one step at a time. I'm the person that tried to do 10,000 steps at a time and that's why I'm still dealing with my adrenal fatigue. So I'm out there trying to help other parents to go, let's make it as easy as possible. Even if you just took out one thing, would that make you feel okay? yes, let's just do that and ignore all the rest until you've done that thing and then we move on to the next thing because you see success and you go, yes, I did that and they get excited, let's go on to the next thing and really try and keep it simple rather than extremely stressful and too much. Um, and the most important reason that is is because these sensitive children absorb stress like there's no tomorrow. So they pick up the parents' stress and then of course that literally affects them physically and their health and so then their health goes down the drain and yeah, and it's just one of those cycles that um, I could talk on and on and on about. Yes, well we're going to have to yep. stop you there Heidi because yes. we are out of time today. So if people want to find out more information about you, they can find out oodles more. Obviously you've got so much more to offer at thehealthycaterpillar.com. Um, they can find you on Facebook at The Healthy Caterpillar as well. And so all of that additional information that I know you've got and you want to share, they can find it all there. I know you said you had something in particular on your website you wanted people to go to and have a look at, didn't you, Heidi? 
Uh, yeah, just so that parents can start to work out, is my child sensitive? Because I would say literally every child is sensitive, so that might end up being fussy eating, food sensitivities or the childhood health issues. Uh, they can find on my website a list of what's called Dubrovsky's overexcitabilities mm -hmm. and they can go through that and just see the five areas that a child and adults um, might be sensitive because that runs in families. And then if you go, oh, my child is sensitive, this type of stuff might come into play and of course then I look at, at um, big time into the food sensitivities too for those sensitive children because they are likely there um, and it links in obviously with the fussy eating as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Heidi. As I said, we could have talked forever but it was an absolute yeah. pleasure having you on. So thank you very much. Thanks, Brett, and thanks to all the listeners. I really am excited to have people interested in this topic. Perfect. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com, and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.